This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Lauren Chater, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. It's so nice to be back. Yeah, I know. It's so lovely. We were hoping to be back and do it person to person, but that didn't work, did it? (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Still uncertain time. Uh, Lauren is the author of historical novels, The Lace Weaver. And I feel a real ownership with that book because I remember when you first came to us, when you first wrote that. Um, it was so exciting, wasn't it? I was such a baby author, wasn't I? I had no, I had no idea what I was doing, but yeah. but you did well because it sold well, <laughs> and people love the story. Gulliver's Wife is her second book, and her her third book has just been released, and it's called The Winter Dress. She has also written a baking compendium called The Well Red Cookie based upon her blog of the same name, featuring recipes for biscuits inspired by classic literature. She is currently completing her Master's of Cultural Heritage at Deakin University. The winter dress is inspired by a 17th century gown that was discovered off the Dutch coastline in 2014 and weaves together the story of two women connected by this dress. There's a theme going on there, isn't there? Mm, Yeah, yeah, there is. (laughs) cultural artifacts and history and women's agency and yeah they I guess all things that interest me so yeah actually it's really funny I had lunch yesterday with a colleague and she said to me and I, I'm sure you're going to relate to this she said I don't know what your passion is is it your job or is it baking <laughs> right because you know I love to bake uh, well yes, I love to cook I, generally yeah. and yeah. I said you know I don't even know if I can separate the two do you feel the yeah. same? Yeah. Um, yes, it's a joy to be able to do what um, you're passionate about and to spend, you know, years um, writing about something that interests you. So I, yeah. I'm very lucky. Now, for those, I know we've chatted before on this podcast, but can you remind our listeners how you came to writing and how you, you first came to write The Lace Weaver? Yeah, so um, I was working in the corporate world and then, um, but I'd always been interested in books and I was always a, a daydreamer when I was a kid and I always did creative writing at school and loved it, wrote little stories. Um, and then I studied uh, literature at university, um, but I didn't really write, take writing seriously until um, I had my son and he's 11 now. And because I was on maternity leave for the first time, I had some actual time to myself. And so I decided that I would sit down and write a novel. Like that's what you do, you know, yeah. <laughs> <So> easy. <laughs> while the baby's sleeping and you type it out. <clears throat> do realize that I had a lot, a lot of work to do to understand the craft of writing and, and learn and sort of do this sort of apprenticeship. Um, and so I did a lot of workshops and I did a Fiona McIntosh um, invited me to take part in her masterclass because she'd read the first couple of chapters, I think, of the book. And through doing that, I met my publisher, um, Roberta Ivers at uh, Simon & Schuster. And um, she 
signed me up and offered me a two book contract or three book really with um, the cookie book. So that was for the lace weaver and Gulliver's wife and and the cookie book and um, yeah, and that's really how it fell into place. Um, did you know about genre when you started thinking about writing? Because you 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 kind of do write a historical fiction genre but did you were you aware of that when you first started writing the lace weaver talk to me about how that story came about yeah so um I tried a lot of different different genres and I um practiced writing dabbled in lots of different ones but historical was really the one that set you know my soul on fire and I really loved reading historical uh, novels I love Tracy Chevalier and I love Hilary Mantel and so I think it was just a matter of finding the one that I could stick with. And because writing a book is just takes so long, you know, years and years of work um, and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know whether it's going to get published. It's such a leap of faith that having the passion is, and that fire I think is the thing that really keeps you going. So yeah, that was what, what interested me about, about writing historical fiction. And talk to me about how the Lace Weaver came about your first book. So I was um, working in my local library. I was a casual um, shelver. I was putting the books away in the craft section and this book sort of dropped uh, as I was putting it away, fell on my head and it was um, The Knitted Lace of Estonia. And as I was flicking through the pages, I thought I really don't know a lot about the the conflict, the Baltic conflict. Um, and it was fascinating, you know, it's the, the, the Soviets and then the Nazis occupied Estonia and then the Soviets again until the 1990s. Um, and I saw these beautiful shawls that these women knitted, these fine cobweb lace, and it was so delicate, but these women seemed so strong, you know, and um, they were fighters, survivors, and I wondered if the shawls could be um, this sort of metaphor or this um, this voice for these women um, who were oppressed and that they might use the patterns in the shawls to express what was going on in their lives and also to hold on to their culture because it was being, the Soviets were trying to stamp stamp it out basically. Mm, We're kind of almost back there, aren't we? Yeah, I know. So even when I was over there researching it, you know, they were training, the women were already training in the forest again. You know, they they knew it was going to happen again. It was just a matter of time. Mm. It's a really lovely premise that there are a lot of people that make a comment about uh, women's historical fiction and they talk about, uh, I've had seen some comments on our Facebook page that calling somebody like Gulliver's wife, like calling that person his wife is actually not giving the women the credit Mm. that they deserve. But the way I see it and the way I see it with your writing is that you are pulling out those women and you are giving them a voice. And we are seeing it from a female perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a subversive um, thing sometimes, I think, as well, to use the terms, all these gendered terms that um, the the Mm -hmm. sort of the patriarchy has given, sort of, you know, instilled in us. I mean, it's the, the story is what it's really about. And is it, you know, is it, it is Mary's story. Gulliver's wife is about his wife's side of the story. Um, He really barely features in it in a sense because he's a very different character to the heroic um, self-hero that he is in his own tale. And even in the new book, um, you know, I think women have always found ways to get around these roadblocks and one of the artists in the the new book, Katharina Van Schumann, she 
does this thing where she gives men uh, gifts of her art so that she gets her art in front of the right people, you know, but she's doing it in a very subtle way that may look kind and feminine, but actually it's, it's just like a very strategic kind of move. So I think as long as we keep those things in mind, you know, that there's no point worrying about sort of um, little details like that because mm. it's the story is what really drives um is what really drives the, the feminine aspect I think of of the the tale mm. I have this view and I know that people think that commercial fiction historical fiction popular fiction whatever you want to call it is not as worthy as other uh writing literary uh you know books for instance <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. of which I mean you know I read right across the board and I'm sure you do too but yeah. what I value in it is the fact that women are writing women's stories. And we can't ignore that. That has grown exponentially. Even when we look at crime, we look at crime fiction, we look at historical fiction, we look at, you know, all sorts of fiction. It is wonderful at the moment to hear these stories told by women. Yes, exactly, because women have their own perspectives. They add their own unique kind of experiences to to the story and... Yeah, so you yeah, you can't really underestimate it. I mean, I read across the board as well and I mm. read men and women, I read mm. everything really. Um but there's a woman called Emily Wilson who recently translated The Odyssey and she was the first woman uh to do that to to actually translate it. And so she had a lot of different observations and you know, perspectives on certain aspects of the story that have always been told through male um, experience and so you know yeah it's it's amazing that's to, really interesting yeah, isn't it power. so the female translation is different to the male translation exactly yeah that's really interesting I'll have to look mm-hmm. that up I didn't know that okay so you've got three books and I want to know in terms of writing process what the the difference is from say writing your first book to writing your third book because I know there's a lot of difference there's a lot of difference, but there's also a lot of <laughs> similarities in that you have to um, you have to believe in yourself a lot. I think that's that's still something that a lot of people they they go into their second and third books thinking that they're going to know uh, the process and they're going to be uh, it's going to be faster. And it's actually you reach the point in the middle section uh, where you have no idea what you're doing and it feels like you're driving in the dark with the lights off, you know, and. Uh, you just have to have faith in yourself and have faith in the story and just finish it. And that's why I always tell my friends who are in the middle, they'll message me and they'll say, oh, you know, I'm having this crisis, this dilemma, because I just don't know whether I'm doing the right thing and whether it's working. And I always give them the same advice and say, you just have to push on because you you can't know what a book is until it's finished. Yeah, you and once, keep- yeah that first draft, then, or second or third draft, then you go back and you look at it and you put it all back together and it's like a big puzzle and you you put throw everything at it and then you break it down take all the pieces apart then you put them back together oh simple it's easy it's so easy i know (laughs) anyone can do it hey there it's michelle norris i'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when i travel i'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when i'm not at home and one of the things i love to do when i am at home is entertain and airbnb allows me to do that when i was in california recently i rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well 
If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's really, uh, and I've made this observation before on this podcast, but you've kind of spelled it out more clearly. In most occupations, right, and in most jobs, you would hope, like, like, well, say if you're a baker, and the more you bake, the better you yep. get, and the easier it gets, and you know, the more confident you are. I feel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel with writing that that doesn't happen to the same degree. It's, it's always a challenge writing the next book. It is. It is always a challenge. Um, And maybe you've refined some of your processes, like you've become better at researching and taking notes and um, holding the story in your head. And you know that, you know, you have to, you have to have a word count and you have to be more disciplined. So you know all those things. But I think like baking as well, there's always an unknown. There's always an X factor that just, and it's that thing that you just, you just have to find it. And you have to be alert to it. And it's what makes your cake or whatever you're making, you know, uniquely yours. Yes. Uh, and maybe it's, and when maybe, maybe when you're writing, it's everything that you've experienced you as a person. It's what you're bringing to the story. It's just something that has to happen in its own time. And it's kind of the, the key to the story, but you can't rush it and you can't force it. It's just something that happens, I think. Yeah, yeah. Do you apply a discipline? Like, you know, I mean, if we're going to use the baking analogy, the discipline is, you know, weighing and process and whatever. Um, Tell me about your discipline in terms of writing. Yeah, so I'm a terrible procrastinator and that probably applies to like 99% of the writers that I know. But I think it's because a lot of it comes out of fear. A lot of it is that, you know, you just, you don't know whether it's going to work and you have to throw yourself into it. But once you, you start then you reach a point as well where it's too late to back out. So you really just have to put yourself in the spot. And it it's a lot of writing. It's a lot of desk work. It's a lot of sitting and and just doing the job, you know. Mm. Um, and so the discipline part of it is that I have to give myself a word count um, usually in order to make deadline or to... A daily word you know, count. A, yeah, a daily word count. So a couple of thousand words. Um and I had last time I used an Excel spreadsheet. This is terrible because it sounds like writing is sort of this mathematical thing where you just write them. But then you have to go back and revise it. And that, that in itself takes months and months and months, you know. So it's not, um, it's not really that clinical. But just to get yourself to the end point, I think discipline is really, really important. Mm. Um, otherwise, you could just make excuses forever and mm. it would be, and it would remain this perfect thing in your head that would never get written. Mm. So do you try and write every single day? In a separate, um, I write every space. day when I'm working on a on a book. If like right now I'm 
in the middle of sort of starting gearing up for promotion and that sort of thing. And I'm doing other bits and pieces. So I'm not writing at the moment, but when I, when book promotion finishes and I'll get stuck into my next book. And so then I will be writing every day. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because I think you need to be in the project every day. Otherwise, once you fall out of it, it's really hard to get yourself back. It's actually just really hard to convince yourself that it's worth it mm. in a way, mm. even if you have a contract, because it's so hard. Mm. Okay. Tell me about the winter dress. Tell me about the seed of that idea. So the winter dress came out of a um, an article that I read in the New Yorker, which was about this gorgeous, um, amazingly well preserved silk dress that was found at the bottom of the ocean. These um, divers in Holland found it in this shipwreck and they broke this chest, um, took it up to the surface, didn't realise what it was, hosed it down, this, uh, you know, 400-year-old silk dress um, and hung it up to dry. And then um, one of the, they had a barbecue, Christmas barbecue, and a friend of theirs, Karina, she's the director of the local museum on Texel, uh, the little island where they all live. She came in and she recognised it as, at once as being this extraordinary kind of artefact. Um, and so then, you know, it all sort of spiralled after that and um, all the museums got involved and archaeologists. And um, so they found this dress. They also found uh, a number of other um, sort of valuable treasures, like silver cup, some um, sort of textiles fragments like... Um, like carpet fragments, this special type of timber, which is called palm wood, um, which is why the the wreck is now called the palm wood wreck. Um, and so, yeah, so I just thought this was an amazing kind of find. And I also wanted to write, so I wanted to write about the discovery of the dress, but also who might've worn the dress. And that to me just seemed like being able to weave together the the contemporary and the the historical timelines would be a real challenge. And, you know, it was, <laughs> like, after all that. So, um, yeah, that was where the seed of that idea came from. Um, it's really a very, very beautiful idea and a very beautiful concept. Do you research first, like, extensively and then start writing or do you research as you go? Um, I research quite a bit first. I try to um, guess kind of what I need to know, mm-hmm. what I will need to know. I think the kind of research research that you can do is, um, you know, you can lock down the time period so that if you know that the sort of what people were wearing and who was in power and that kind of the politics of the time, that's all stuff that you can get a hold of. Um, but then there's more nitty gritty stuff that like textiles, history and things like that for this book that I had to do as I was going along. So I would have to sort of think, oh, no, I have to go off and once I finish doing this bit of writing, I have to go and research that and make sure that that's correct. But it's also when you do the the drafts, the revision, I think then you work out what you need to know as well. So, mm. yeah, there's, it's, a, it's a lot. But it's the research is such a pleasure. I love it. Because mm, it's the discovery, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's much fun for me as it is for everyone yes, else. Yes, and you're learning so much at the same yeah. time. So what do you think... Do you think that this is an area that you will stay with? Do you think in terms of your writing and your writing development? Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm just still so obsessed with historical (laughs) fiction and I love it and it makes me feel alive to write it, you know, and I think that that is helpful when you're writing because you get that energy in the story. Um, If I'm excited to write it, then hopefully people will be excited to read it. Um, So definitely for the next foreseeable future of the next few books definitely that's what I'll be sticking with yeah 
Yeah. And do you have a favourite of the three? Um, <laughs> do you have a favourite no, Favourite child? Maybe, yeah, maybe this one is is my my current favorite. Your current favourite is probably. Yeah. Actually, you know what? The favourite one is probably the one that's not written yet. <laughs> yeah, probably. Because it's still perfect in your mind and it hasn't disappointed you yet. Um, I spoke to Charlotte Wood a few <laughs> months back now and you might know this, but it was the first time I'd heard it. Or heard somebody saying it. And she said once she that book is published and it's out there, yeah. it doesn't belong to her. It belongs yeah. to the reader. Do you feel yeah. the same way? Yeah, I do feel the same way. Yeah. I yeah. Do. And so I hope that what I've invested in the book and is what people will enjoy reading it and things like that. So yeah. And then I'm moved on to the next. It's probably a bit of self-preservation too, because you know, you you do feel quite vulnerable about putting yourself into your novels. Every novel, um, I think, contains quite a bit about the writer, even if it's... Um, Absolutely. Your. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is a bit terrifying to put yourself out there. and But, yeah, the habit, focusing on the next book as well, that gives you hope and it gives you um, something to look forward to and you say, well, I'm just going to try and do better the next time too because, of course, you always think about all the things that you wish you could have done with that book, but that book exists and that's what I keep saying to my friends. I'm like, it's not perfect, but it exists like me yeah. <laughs> after this pandemic, you know, well, we're still in it. So, um, yeah, I think you just have to be proud of what you can achieve at the time. Yeah. How yeah. has the pandemic affected your writing, do you think? Because a lot <laughs> yeah. of authors have told me that, well, really it hasn't changed my life that much, but I don't think that's the same for everybody. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it definitely changed my life in a, in a big way, <laughs> in a big way. Um, I think the thing that I really struggled with the first time was difficult because we didn't know where it was, when it was going to end and we didn't know whether we were going to survive or whether we were all going to, you know, get this sort of death blue or something and um, and it, we're worried about our families. Um, but that was a different kind of thing to the second lockdown. So because I live in Sydney and so do you, the second lockdown was that really long one. It was four months and that really affected me mentally, mental health-wise. Mm-hmm. I really s- sort of Same. struggled Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really struggled because I missed seeing art. I'm sure you feel the same mm-hmm. way. And as a writer or a creative person, you need to be seeing things and doing things in order to synthesize that so that you can create. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also is, you know, for people like us, I think it it's like an anchor point. And we go and we see our favorite artworks at the high and go, oh, you know, like, oh, that there's my thing that makes me feel good and it's like self-soothing. But we didn't have that. We just had our very small worlds. And so I really, really struggled um, with that. And But luckily I had done the research for this in 2019 before COVID hit. So I was very lucky that I could still, you know, Mm. write um, because I always want to go to the places that I write about. I always Mm. feel like I need to travel there um, in order to write about them. So for me, it was just more logistics of homeschooling and having to, yeah, not having that creative um, ability to go and see art. Well, you know, and that logistic of homeschooling is not a small thing. I mean, all of a sudden you don't have work time, you know, (laughs) carved out. That's difficult. Yeah, it was really tricky. Um, And, yeah, and trying to keep the kids busy and even Mm. when they're not homeschooling then they were still home so so there was no kind of break to it at all and you're trying to keep their spirits up and keep them happy Mm. luckily my kids are were seven and ten at the time so they weren't 
too bad, but they they sort of struggled a lot because they didn't know the social etiquette of talking to their friends on the phone or anything like that. So they really, yeah, yeah, connect with any of their friends at all. But because they had each other, they, they grew quite close. So that was quite cute. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, Lauren, I think we're going to let you go. Um, keep on <laughs> writing because we're enjoying it. Congratulations on the new book. It's called... Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I really love the gentleness of your writing as well. I don't know if I said that, but there's something very, very gentle about your style of writing. Thank you, Cheryl. All right. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. All right. We'll see you soon. Thank you. (laughs) If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.